everyone and welcome to BYOB. I think this is episode number 22. 23. 23 if you, mm. yeah, 23 because we did a Michael Dublé one week. You've ruined it already, you know. Yeah, I've killed it. The intro must have been so, there. Done. Hi Jack, done. how are you? I'm good, thank you, Ben. How are you getting on, mate? Yeah, good, good. Um, what have I got to report? Um, I went this weekend, I went for a, a five course Italian meal on Sunday. Yeah. Take, and take then, me through each course. I would in, love to. In full detail, please do, my friend. So we began with uh, focaccia alongside um, a burrata, a kind of like bruschetta sort of vibe as well. Then there came like a round of like meats, hams, kind of like cuts of um what's it called when you have that gorgeous um uh carpaccio okay yeah Uh, with like really nice little glaze over the top of it then we had uh, a pasta course then we had a pizza course and then there were three different desserts and you just kind of like sort of troughed your way through it and um is it one of those where you rolled out of the restaurant afterwards kind of mate and we were sat in oh god we were sat in like one of those tables where you you know where you kind of like one bit of it's against the wall and then they've crammed a load of tables in a line together so if you're on the wrong side you're never getting out and I was just kind of like sat with my stomach just expanding for sort of two hours. And I was like, right, I've got to get, I've just got to get up and get out of here. Um, and my knee got caught in the tablecloth and oh, I've just God. yanked a massive pint of beer all over myself and oh, lots God. of other people. Um, and it just like... Sounds like Mr. Bean goes to dinner, mate. It, it, it really, <laughs> really was. But... I need to I need to find the name of this restaurant because I'm going to give it a plug so that if people do want to go and eat their body weight in Italian food, it is absolutely unbelievable. Like so 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 good. It's called Antica Osteria Ave Mario and it is by Covent Garden and it was unbelievable. So that was my weekend alongside doing lots of work podcasts and watching Spurs be absolutely amazing. And one last thing, if people have, like, I mean, if you are here for the films, that's wonderful. If you're here for the films and you also like Tottenham Hotspur a bit, there's a song at the moment, well, basically, (laughs) people have made, someone's made a kind of cover of Robbie Williams' Angels to the sort of lyrics of the new Spurs manager's name. And Robbie Williams did a cover of it. And I basically went down a wormhole of just watching it about a million times last night. I don't know whether you were the same, mate. It's, it's quite smart of him, I thought. It's quite. It's Robbie Williams like realizing, okay, I can, uh, I can put myself back into the zeitgeist here. Big time. He's a Big Paul Powell fan. He's not a Spurs fan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, He's... and he just sort of says, "Look, oh, I'm a Spurs fan now." Apparently, At the end. did he? Yeah. Pa- Apparently a very good footballer, Robbie, Robbie Williams. Oh, well, I watched him in Soccer Aid at the beginning and he was decent. By the way, that's done 1.5 million views on his Instagram, really? the him singing along. That is just, it's the game now, isn't it? Yeah. It is just the game. Like, if, if you just latch on to these trends and sort of like jump on it, it, it kind of happens for you. Bit wild. Anyway, how was your weekend, mate? What'd you do? I've been dog sitting. I've been dog sitting. I really thought you were going to say I've been dogging. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, ever I since like, I moved to the sticks. Yeah. Very candid. Very it's, candid start. That's just what we do around here. You know what I mean? No, none, of that, none of that big city lark anymore. No more Italian, 
Italian taster menus around here, mate. If you'll Tra- leave your trousers tra- around your ankles, <laughs> in the bush. Yeah. Yeah. if you'll just leave your pants over by the trees, yeah. that'd be great. <laughs> but you, you didn't, don't know where been... I put my turnips. You know, um, <laughs> I don't live in the West Country, so I don't know why I'm doing that that accent. Um, but yeah, this is yeah. Bit, but bit the dog, dog sitting. sitting is probably a little yes. bit more pre-watershed. Fine. Looking after That's a lovely nice. Rottweiler, who we've looked after a good few times now. She's just she adores me. I have to say, like, oh she really? Loves me. Yeah. Just like real recognizes real because you're like you like uh, Rottweilers are those sort of dogs that look they look double hard, but they're cute and cuddly. Oh, really, they're, they're like giant pugs. This, yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. When when Charlotte first said we're going to look after this a couple of years ago, when she first said we're going to look after a what rot, a Wattweiler, mm-hmm. turning to Jonathan Ross, <laughs> um, we're going to look after a Rottweiler. Um, I was cacking my pants, but as soon as I met her, I was like, "What? Like you're a dream?" Well, and also like you buy a Rottweiler to stop people burgling your house. I was like, "That's not a really good thing." That is your natural inclination, isn't it? That's your yeah. kind of where your mind goes with those dogs. You're like, if if someone broke in and they saw that, they would run a million miles. But actually, it's, it's what my what my father in law would call proper dog. Yeah, That's what he's got, he's yeah, pro- yeah, proper yeah. Dog, that proper yeah. dog, yeah. a dog that needs room. Yeah, yeah, um, like, and bollocks bigger than you. <laughs> really yeah, I mean, and, and it's, it, yeah she's a female dog and she probably does you know that's, yeah. so you know <laughs> uh, Christ um, you, so, uh, it's been a couple it's been a couple of weeks now mate and I know it's how I'm schneiding out of this one but have you been to the cinema this week wait right? have you not I haven't this week no okay I'm cool afraid. let me let me hop in because I have cool. I went to see Barbie finally you did it you done yeah, it Greta finally Gerwig's. got around it blockbuster record breaking barbie so i've got i've got probably like three or four hot takes for you you got here. takes you got takes yeah cool. and me and the miss like i'm gonna apologize in advance to christina because she probably wouldn't have wanted me to share that our a kind of air our big discussion that we had afterwards but i it's important um first things first i'm getting the popcorn ready don't worry hang on to the marketing i think is perhaps the greatest marketing of any film there's ever been. Mm, I go along with that, yeah. I think I, I cannot think of another film that's been marketed better in terms of the audience interaction, the idea of you being able to go and get in the Barbie box, mm-hmm. in terms of the amount of people that are turning up in pink to go and watch it, mm-hmm. in terms of the like the longevity of the marketing, it's still sort of being seeded now. It's still kind of ticking over now. There were eight showings going on on Saturday night of, of the film, running from sort of like the, the one that the cinema that we go to, running from kind of like four o'clock or, or kind of in the afternoon through until a late showing as well. So it had longevity as well. And Margot Robbie has committed on a level to the marketing that only someone like Tom Cruise probably could align with. And that's not to forget Ryan Gosling. Like I do, um, I, I think he plays his part. Um, just to quickly co- say, just to jump in, it's standing on $1.34 billion worldwide Unbelievable. Now. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's just incredible. Like, I mean, you, you could predict that it would be a success. That's obscene. That's absolutely obscene. My next hot take point that I'd like to chuck your way. If you are in a film of that size Mm -hmm. and the box office is that large, do you 
almost by rights have to be entered into the conversations for Oscars? No. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Because I would agree with that. Mm. Um, and that needs neatly leads me on to sort of two other points. One, I think Ryan Gosling will be in with a shout with Best Supporting Actor. I, I think his performance, I was in hysterics. The like dance, he, when he joins the, the dance at the, the beginning. Da- yeah. I mean, the way that they're snarling and that yeah. when he finds out about the patriarchy and like he's like, well, men are in charge of everything. And he just kind of like <laughs> runs back to, to sort of like Barbie land or whatever it is and then just ruins everything with horses. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> he is absolutely brilliant. And like these little looks on his face like constant like the beaching off when there's a bit where he goes to the real world and he goes around and he's basically on the hunt for a job and he's like yeah how do i get this job and the guy's like well you have to get qualifications to be a lifeguard he's like no i want beach yeah <laughs> it's just so amazing I, li- I like it when he's speaking to the female doctor as well he's like can i speak to the doctor and she's like you are and he's like like he plays that role so well and yeah. i think again like he, he's He's so talented, but to do that role, I really think you have to kind of like leave your sort of any hang-ups at the door and just totally yeah, commit to yeah. it. And I think that he does. And I think Margot Robbie is wonderful, but I think in terms of, I can't see Margot Robbie being nominated for Best Actress, but I can see Ryan Gosling sneaking in, not winning, but sneaking into Oscar conversation for Best Sport. Do you not know, oh, I, I think she'll definitely get nominated. Oh, do you? Yeah, right, okay, I, I think cool. she will. I think she okay. will. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, I thought she kind of, I thought she carried the film really well in terms of like moving the 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 film onwards. I didn't think that she kind of like, I didn't think there were too many scenes where I was like, wow, she's stopping time. Do you know oh, what I mean? No, no, I don't. I don't think it's a powerhouse performance at all. But I think, she, yeah, I think she's brilliant. Um, and like you say, I think she's really committed to getting the movie made. To obviously getting Greta Gerwig on board into all of the promotion, as you've said. Um, but I don't, in terms of her performance within that film, I, I don't think it's astonishing. I don't. We've seen her do better. You know, look, watch I Tonya. You know, for example. Yeah, I, to, I mean, like I a powerhouse kind of Margot like Robbie performance. We know she's got you know acting chops, if you like. Um, but I just think the narrative around Barbie, what it symbolises, you know, the Oscars they they love a uh, they love to jump on the narrative, right? It's the it's the yeah it's the movie business, isn't it? It's capturing the yeah. imagination, and that's what Barbie's done. So I think they will, I think they'll be loath not to uh, to to recognise her in some capacity for that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but I just, for me, I just I imagine they'll be. just depends what what comes out in between now and the end of the year or now in between oscar buzz season um how how did you feel about mate i'm interested to know how you felt because obviously i caught a lot of heat for saying that i thought the kind of the right wing criticism of it was a bit misplaced Did, did, did you sort of feel it was you know particularly offensive or was it just literally a kind of comedy film that okay probably attack not attacks but probably laughs at men a bit but it's a movie predominantly directed at women right it's, no i thought it, there was I, loads I it was of mean right no 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 it wasn't mean spirited i thought there was low the problem is is that i i, I think um blokes have a hard time 
in general, this is a sweeping generalization, sweeping generalization. I think uh, a lot of men have a harder time, a harder time <laughs> laughing at themselves in the context of um, it, being like, wow, this is uncomfortably true. A lot of this stuff, you know, I mm. think people, I think a lot of guys have a, when you're confronted with some of that stuff, let me give you a great example of this. Imagine sitting there as someone who makes a film podcast and and then there is a scene in the film where it's like, let me sit down and explain to you how deep the Godfather is. Yeah, I was like, I I'm literally was thinking about that. I know, I was like, oh my God. We're like, those really? freaking guys. But, the, but like, so in that, in that moment, I'm laughing. I'm laughing and yet I'm also like... So here's the, here's the cool thing. I'm laughing, but I'm also like, wow, you're having a little bit of a barb at me. And it made me feel not uncomfortable, but it made me feel like poked at, you know. And it's, it's a normal thing to be, to be sat there. When someone pokes fun at you, you laugh and then also you reflect a little bit. Mm. And that was, that was good. Like that, that, for me, I actively embraced the fact that it, I came away from the film and I embraced the fact that it, poked at things that I wanted the film to poke at you know it kind of had a little bit of a a little bit of a dig and in a really kind of non-offensive way you know it, it had a dig in a way where yeah. it was like like oh by the way did you notice that you do this sometimes or did you notice that this is something that maybe you need to think about and equally it, it, it called out women as well. It called out yeah. women for, for, for their contributions to kind of tearing down other women at times. And it called out women for um, how at times they like they've been in, in, in places where they perhaps have exacerbated the problems of the patriarchy. Not without, of course, calling out men as well. But there was so much in there around the expectations on men and the fact that like there was men go through identity crises all the time because of the expectations that have been put against them by the patriarchy. So it were like it didn't run away from things I didn't think. And I think a lot of the people that got I, I haven't seen anyone do a breakdown or an analysis, an analysis, sorry, of Barbie where they have sort of vociferously gone after the portrayal of men in a coherent fashion and really landed any points that have stuck because no. it seems to me that the vast majority of people that would have been upset or pissed off would have been people that are a little bit thin skinned and not able to kind of laugh at themselves, but also be reflective you know, it's people who have been like, well, it's just man-hating, you're having a go at men yeah. all the time, you can't fucking do anything anymore. It's like, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. Um, the only actual criticism of that I had of the film was that I kind of was expecting it to go a bit go a bit bigger on story. Like, I, mm. because of the amount of marketing, because I was so all in for the marketing, I was like, well, I, I can't wait to watch this. I cannot wait to watch it. I don't think, I mean, it, you can't compare it to, Oppenheimer, right? You just can't compare it to Oppenheimer. They're so different. They're not, they're not meant to be appreciated in the same way. But I think just because of the fact that it was Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it was. I kind of went in there. I was like, right, here comes the deep film. And it actually, it was like a lot of kind of, there was a lot of metaphor and, and, and there was a lot of um, quite gentle ribbing of ideas and themes you know as opposed to being like okay we're going to take you on this 
journey from a story point of view. And I think the criticism of of Oppenheimer is that it gave itself a lot to do. You know, hence a three-hour running time. And I mean, I Oppenheimer written like I loved it. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, but I just think like Barbie was a very, very, very good film. It perhaps it fell a bit short on the story front, but I think I only felt that way because of the marketing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Did you feel that uh, Will Ferrell's cameo was a bit shoehorned in, or did you enjoy it? No, it didn't. Do, like I laughed at a couple of the jokes, but that was the bit that fell flat for me. That mm. was that was the thing that that hit me is that I wanted. Well, I don't know why I'm bringing what I want onto the film, but I was yeah, expecting. You're, you're a patron of the. You're a patron of the film, you know. Yeah, well, I, I just basically when I when she came to the real world, I really really enjoyed the kind of the realism of that if that makes sense mm. so there was like when the guys started ogling her and objectifying her and her being like wow what is this shit feeling of like feeling completely in in, in peril and anxious and in, in in danger you know and then at the same time ryan gosling's like wow i feel admired and empowered <laughs> like but it also led to, really... but it did lead to the brilliant bit as well from ryan gosling when she's like he doesn't have any genitals to all those builders and he's like yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what i mean he just yeah. he was phenomenal he was so good in yeah. that role yeah. and um and th- th- i liked that I like the fact that they brought this kind of kind of quirky cotton candy version of life into the real world and then it started un- unfurling it and it felt like Will Ferrell's character was just from Barbie land as well, you know? There wasn't yeah. actually enough distance and it, like you said, it felt a bit like, here's Will Ferrell doing Will Ferrell. Let's go, mm. you know? It and didn't it felt, need to be that. Do, do you know what felt a little confusing is that he played an almost identical role in the Lego movie. Um, yes. It, it felt like, a, it just felt like a strange decision. It was the one, the one thing I'd question the production of this was that the inclusion of Will Ferrell in that role, because it, like I say, it just felt too strangely similar to, to the Lego movie. Could, with that. Can I give you an example then of where this is done the other way around and they absolutely nail it. The film Elf, where yeah, Will Ferrell yeah. is essentially playing Barbie yeah. comes into the real world and James Kahn is the boss, is the yeah. executive, yeah, is yeah, the yeah, big yeah. CEO. And that dynamic really works because you've got this clash of like the stupidity and the fun and the silliness. And Will Ferrell is almost like giving, like he's able to bring that totality of that wonderful, weird world that Elf lives in at the North Pole. And then James Kahn is able to be the polar opposite. And it felt like that character, Will Ferrell's character, got lost somewhere in between. Listen, oh, mate, I, I think what, Will Ferrell's an absolute genius, but, you know. that's just This is just making me look forward to Christmas when we get to do all the Christmas movies well, on this. Mate, Elf, is, Elf is on the list, surely. We've got Spoiler a couple of alert, really good seasons coming up, haven't we? We've got Halloween season to do. Oh, yeah which is class. We've also got Christmas season to do, which is absolutely amazing. And I do feel like next year, when we get into summer again, I think we need to do like a kind of open air cinema sort of month, maybe where we're going to do the kind of classic summer, summer vibes films. Summer blockbusters. Oh, big time, big time. Um, Mm. But speaking of, speaking of, um, uh, Halloween season. We've, we've probably gone almost early with with Psycho, but we haven't done a horror film yet, have we? 
No, I mean th- we've we've had some films with with shades of horror in them, but not yeah. an out and out, not an out and out horror. Um, but even we might be jumping ahead in the conversation Ooh. here, but one might not even class Psycho as an out and out. Very horror, good. But we'll point. get onto that. We'll Very get onto point. that. Um, but yes, we are we are covering Psycho, and before we do dive into it, mate. What I'm going to ask you to do is, I think you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Yeah, I want I am going to ask you to spoil the film in 60 seconds. So what I'm going to do first of all is bring up my time here. Now, you are, I'm going to say, I'm not a jealous man, generally, <laughs> but you are annoyingly good at this. Um, and I'm ready, I, I don't like to wish failure on my friends, but you are making me look bad, mate. <laughs> Fuck it up. You're starting to make me look... I, you know, you were, you were talk, giving me that pat on the head shit last week, like, oh, well done, with the V for Vendetta, and I thought, it was awful. Yeah, I, I don't want that bollocks. All throughout in the background as well, I'm just going, awful, <laughs> awful, awful. Um, and it was. <laughs> but uh, let's see if you can do it, mate. Let's see if you can do it. Psycho, 60 seconds. You, you, you feeling pumped? You ready? Shall I give you a countdown? Yeah, I, let's have it. I'm, I'm good to go. Right then. And a three, and a two, and a one. So I think Psycho falls into essentially three short stories. Firstly, you've got the character Marion and her boyfriend Sam. So Marion steals 40 grand, is it, from her boss when she should have been depositing it in the bank. She basically makes a run for it so that her and her boyfriend can run away. When she's making a run for it, though, she keeps getting stopped at various points and essentially giving away her identity, which is really interesting because of the time the film comes out. Second act is kind of Marion stopping at the Bates Motel where she meets Norman Bates and kind of half meets his mother as well. Norman Bates goes to get her some food and sort of lures her into a very, very sinister pantry. Um, He's a bit of a peeping Tom as well, sneaking views through the wall while she goes to get into the shower. Um, She gets beaten the shower in the shower she go uh, basically they then have to go and try and find out who's killed her her family oh fuck it I fucked it absolutely fuck it I, I just yeah, she got I, be- she got beaten up in the shower I think there's a bit bit worse than that mate a bit worse she than that abso- <laughs> she got absolutely pulverised oh, this I'm sorry I made a real I made a pig's ear of that well but, I, I don't know if you did mate because what I would say is this, 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 let's, let's use this as a as a, as a jump off point it's a, it's a it's a startlingly complex film, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So I, I I mean, look. Full disclosure. Like I said last week, I'm watching this for the first time. Um, so it I had no kind of preconceived notions, or I had no preconceptions of what the film is going to be, other than its impact on mainstream culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like where you've seen people be like, oh, Norman Bates or getting... And going, re, 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 Yeah, exactly. Know. And getting beaten to a pulp in the in a shower, you know, because there's been so many sketches around that. Um, so I watched it once in kind of just watched it. And then I watched it again, trying to pick bits out as well. Um, and watching it the first time, just the first time I watched through... I, I was really, really thrown by the by. I, mean, I don't want to jump ahead, but the shower scene, for example, happening when it did, I was like, "All oh, right, she fucking she's beaten to a pulp. She's just dead." You know? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Like, so it really, really, th- that the, the way that the film was layered and made really threw me. And it was, I was expecting it to be one thing and it was just so much more. It was just, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd originally intended to ask you this a bit later on, but actually I think it's, I think it's a better point to ask you now before we dial down into more of the specifics about the film. Considering 1960, the movie is made. It's a black and white film. Honestly speaking, how watching it for the because this is I'm very interested to know because you watched this for the first time in 2023, having seen all manner of different horror films up until this point. How did you find it? How did you find watching this? Did you actually find it creepy? Did you find it scary, or was it naff? Okay, so I was. I found it very scary. I found the score at the beginning this kind of really intense kind of searing strings that are very sort of staccato and punchy had me on edge from the start um like really really on edge i thought the opening credit sequence or this kind of like title sequence that it does was a little bit like um it was a little bit like going into a haze it was a bit like (laughs) hypnotic kind of like really strangely watching the patterns moving on the screen it already made me uncomfortable. The thing that I would say is that I didn't find it shocking, but that is because I'm like, this would have been shocking at the time on an unbelievable level. Well, yeah, this is what I I was wondering. This is what I was going to put to you is, were you able to, I guess, empathise with an audience of 1960 and think they must have been watching this thinking... Oh my god, mate! I tell you the first thing: the the film starts with essentially two people mm. having just hooked up, and the yeah. man admitting that he's either having an affair or in the process of leaving his partner, who is sort of in his eyes good for nothing, and her being like, "Right, let's run away together." I, again, I like all I can go off is kind of my perceptions of that period of time. Surely that would have been like what on earth are you doing like what she's it starts the film starts with her in her underwear yeah like, that and can't have been the like, norm let's let's stay in bed and shag all day you know it's kind of <laughs> it's, it's, you know she's like i can't i've got to get back to work as they've just stayed in some grubby hotel to like you say to hook up on their on their lunch break and you think like wow you know yeah well that, that was my kind of at the time when i was watching it i'm thinking are people watching this and being like well we can't have any of that like, what's going on? Or are people watching this and being like, ooh, how edgy? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like I think it was probably, quite- probably a bit of both. I mean, it was that kind of time, wasn't it? And we, there is more to talk about um, on this type of thing later on. But times were changing, you know? The 60s, it was the start of mainstream feminism, you know, really kind of gathering gathering a voice and stuff. And I guess social social change was, was afoot. And I guess you generally see that reflected immediately in the arts, don't you? Yeah, that would be the one. And they tend to be kind of almost like heralding things in as well, right? It's where people kind of take a bit more risk because they can use metaphor to sneak Mm -hmm. things under the radar a little bit. Um, And I know we're going to get onto this kind of conversation around Norman Bates and kind of what he represents as well. But there was that was one of the things that jumped out at me was that there were so many little things that were happening and going on within the film that were um, some overt and some kind of layered and seeded in under the radar that were clearly a a social commentary and an attempt to kind of get Mm. ahead of the time. But that was a that start was just 
just incredible. And also the fact that it was it was a, a woman stealing the money. You know, she is the first hour of the film or the first 45 minutes of the film. And she is quite headstrong. She's like sticking it to the police officer. She refuses to. There's that like, there's that, the line of the car salesman, she even flirted with me. Yeah. Yeah. The sort of pervy cowboy at the start in the, in the, in his boss's office and all that. Yeah. 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 But but overall, you did you did still find it scary. Oh my god, yeah. Well, like sinister and the twist at the end. Can I? Can I? It's not a plot spoiler, is it? Because everyone knows what happens in the film. Can I tell you the scariest bit for me? Hmm. Two two bits that like the the shower scene I'd kind of come into contact with before. So it was though it was kind of unsettling it wasn't the most scary scene for me because i've kind of seen it in mainstream culture the bit where he runs round the corner in his mum's clothing yeah. just looking like absolutely like that's the thing that i find the most scary in the world is at the people, top of the stairs yeah um yeah. when he comes he's got the knife in his hand and oh in the cellar at the end in the cellar and, oh, and, he's, just kind of, and he's like talking in tongues isn't he he's like just yeah, shouting and gibberish face is kind of like all yeah. over the place and he's kind of like smiling but and that's the thing that i find the most scary right is people who go from having a completely run-of-the-mill normal outlook to them being crazy unpredictable i just think that's so scary you know when it's because then it's like whoa what's going on now what's going on and his just look of being completely unhinged and then the the final shot that we get at the end where him he's just sitting there and he's got the voices going on in his head and he's kind of got eyes looking up but head oh, tilted brilliant. down oh, oh. did yeah. you find it because you've seen this multiple times i assume but yeah. did you when you watched it back did you find it scary watching it back hot, even though you hot, know what's coming horrible mate and i i think this is the reason why i was so interested to know is because I saw like a clip of it. I was watching, like, it was probably like, you know, Barry Norman's film program back in the day mm, um, mm. or something like that. But I saw a clip of the shower scene and it wasn't, it wasn't on like late or anything. And I was, I think I, I was probably about eight or nine when I saw it and it fucking terrified me. It honestly, it terrified me when I was a kid the, the way you see the bathroom door open through the shower curtain, you know, when she's in the shower and if you look in the background, yeah, you can yeah, just see the yeah. door opening and you see the figure coming towards, like it's such a masterful choice to have like a, a kind of an op- a, a semi-transparent shower curtain. It's so masterful to do that because you can see the looming threat there while she's just having the shower. And yeah. the, the, like the, 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 the the face completely cast in shadow it's just it's horrible with the sort of the the old lady hair and the knife just kind of going at it it, it like well, and the sound of the knife as well yeah like the, How you actually hear the squelching sound you know yeah yeah but, so that terrified me and i think you know when something scares you i'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say like traumatized because i think that's a word that's thrown about yeah. to kind yeah. of you know but when something like when you have some kind of like childhood fright when something really scares you as a kid i don't think that ever really leaves you do you know what, what was I mean? your one as a kid like as a, what was the thing that scared you as a kid that you were like oh 
Because you always what? keep it right. You know the thing that kind of like. Oh, was it like not a movie like, or something like a, an an a, an event that happened? Yeah, or maybe or maybe uh, in a film that you saw when you were younger and it sort of like absolutely well, threw you. Psycho is definitely on that list. Like right, honestly, okay. it terrified me. But another event that happened to me as a kid, I remember once when. I can't remember where we were. We were at one of the beach places. It might be Scarborough. It might be Whitby. Somewhere up north. Because my mum's from Yorkshire and we go up to Yorkshire a lot. And we were at one of those kind of big, big beachy type parts. One of those old, you know, old beach resorts before people started going on like low cost holidays. And I remember we were, me and my mum, and I was, I was little, but we were getting on this like uh, a monorail type thing where, you know how like a... Um, when you're going skiing and yeah, the, the, yeah. the kind of the ski lift, it doesn't stop. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, keeps moving. Yeah. So you, you have to jump on and it carries on moving. And it, it was that type of thing. And it was like a, a kind of like a monorail taking you up the cliffside kind of thing. And I remember like getting into this thing. I was little, but my mum kind of like lost her footing. So couldn't get in the carriage properly. So I was just in this fucking like monorail thing going like up the cliffside on my own. I just remember it scared the shit out of me when I was little. I was tiny, yeah. but it's, I can't, I must've been very young as well. And some but people like, are probably thinking what a sheltered childhood, but like that. No, no, no. Probably happened you when I was about that. five or six. And I just remember it in the back of my head of being like, for, I guess for the first time thing, because you don't really understand it properly. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just in a carriage and I'm going to go up to the top and someone's going to help me out at the no, top. No, but you don't know that as a child. But you're like, I'm going to die. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and it's a really, it's really, um, it is that at that age, I think that is, you, you would use the word traumatizing, right? Because you don't know, as a child, that is something that you, you can't help the impact that will have on you. You can't help the fact you just feel pe like just complete, cold, blind fear and panic. But, you know, I, 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 to, to, I guess to link this to Psycho, I think part of the mastery of Hitchcock, what he's done in this film, and I think why this is enduringly a scary film because we can we can give everyone the peek behind the curtain producer purdy is your typical cynical 20 something those old things that you two like are crap you <laughs> silly old you silly old tossers do you know what i mean I, we said it of spider-man already we were we did a fucking two-hour podcast on spider-man oh, it's so good it's just he was like well, shit what are you two on about kind of thing but he said of this he watched this in lockdown and it scared the shit out of him as well. That he thought yeah, it was still I, brilliant and scary. Can I can I chuck another thing into the mix here as to why it was scary? I well, think I, I just being, quickly want to say on, on this. He's what he's managed to do is tap into that primal fear. The 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 thought of being in the shower when you're at your most vulnerable. You're there getting clean. You're naked. There's nothing there to help you. You're caught in a little box there with water coming onto you and you're naked and somebody violates not only your privacy, they see you naked. They see you standing there at your most vulnerable moment. They go and stab you to death while you're in the shower. Do you know what I mean? It's, and it's, it's that way. It's, it's a timeless, I guess, feeling of just invasive horror, which he, he just captured so well in that scene. And we will, we will talk more about it because, you know, it's psycho. The shower scene dominates a lot of this. We will talk more about the nuts and bolts of that. But that, that was one of those things, like I say, that the way in which he, he stokes, he sort of, well, strokes, I should say, that primal fear inside of us, I think is is, is masterful. But yeah, um, sorry, mate. Okay. Am I going too far to talk about that scene being in black and white? Do we want to save that for a little bit later on? 
No, go for it. I think that's well, fine. Just, that was one of the reasons why I found the film scary. I think things that are older are naturally more scary, right? Because one of the things that jumped out at me was when she was in the car and she's driving away. In my mind, I'm like, well, the game's up. You've been seen by a police officer. You know, and like straight away, I'm like, he's going to report your license plate. He's got all your details. In at that time, no one's got anything. You know, you can you can easily kind of um, you can easily go missing. You know, mm-hmm. you could be you could go missing in the same country and people won't find you because they haven't got AMPR and they haven't got CCTV everywhere. You know, like there's a very real possibility that you could take 40 grand and go away and kind of make your life with it. You know, you, you, she actually sort of to, to someone in 2023, it's a ludicrous idea that you could steal your boss's money and go on the run. But at the time you potentially could go and get, make a good fist of it. Um, and that simplicity is what makes it so scary, right? Because you suddenly become really aware that when she arrives at the motel and he's like, let's go and enjoy it in the pantry. You're already like, she's trapped. No one's coming yeah. for her. Like no one's going to come and save her. And I think the fact that it's in black and white as well, is just a, at the time it wouldn't have, it, it, I'm, I'm sure he was doing things from a technological point of view that people go, wow, he's taking this on. But now it's kind of the reverse. Now, because it's in black and white, there is a charm to it that, that we discover as a 2023 audience, as opposed to it being the norm. It, get, it For me, it gave it another dimension as to why it was it was scaring the life out of me. Seeing that the blood running in the water, for example, yeah. black and white, it was like, ooh. It's, it's very good. Like, and like what you, what you touch on there as well is, is definitely a point when she's at the motel first, when she first arrives there. And you think not only just as, as a woman being on her own, but just anybody on their own where you've met this kind of, kooky kind of not landlord what is he like just I guess the motel owner and you think yeah I'm in the middle of nowhere here and there's just me and this guy and you see quite deliberately as well it's quite scary because you see when when he takes the key off of the uh off of the rail behind him there's two there's two of each key there's two of each yeah room key. yeah so it's kind of just again planting that seed for her like he can get into my room as well and he hovered over number two and three didn't he yeah hovers over three and then goes to get one because obviously number one is right next to his mm-hmm. pantry so he can see through but one of the other things i suppose that i did we didn't even touch on is the fact that she's driven he deliberately leaves in a good 30 to 45 seconds of her just driving in the rain discombobulating the audience and completely losing where we are from any kind of geographical point of view. Yeah. So that that constant firing of the rain is like, right, where are we now? I'm lost. It's almost like going for a force field, isn't it? For yeah. a wormhole yeah, 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 into yeah. Yeah. the yeah, yeah. horror of, of the Bates Motel. Um, yeah. But what, I think this is a good point to, to, to pick up on what set this apart. Why, you know, we're talking about watching this in 2023 and we're not just being like... Pfft, this is naff. I think there's probably, and we, we can talk about this in this section, I think there's only one bit that I did think was a, a little bit that hasn't aged very well in terms of from a from a technique point of view. Um, but we can talk about the mastery of Alfred Hitchcock because he is one of those names, you know, people just talk about somebody being, oh, that's Hitchcock-esque. You know, it's, it's, mm, it's, mm. it's just one of those, one of those names. So intrinsic with cinema. Um, 
what did you, what did you, because I mean, the, the, the thing is you're watching an old black and white 1960 movie, but in, in many ways it feels like a piece of modern cinema, right? When you, when you compare it to like other old black and white films, lots of static shots, maybe more, more theatrical in the way that they were almost like, you know, films were almost plays that had just been captured one set, not very little dynamism, people just all having like conversations in an almost staged like fashion. When suddenly you've got this, this guy who is using quick cuts, quick edits, various different camera angles, using freehand cameras that, that suddenly it felt like cinema really bang. And you've got Orson Welles to thank for a lot of this as well. You have to give Orson Welles a, a, a sh- give Orson Welles a shout out. Fucking hell. <laughs> you, have to, you have to nod to Orson Welles. He revolutionized. Poor one out for Orson Welles. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he revolutionized cinema in a, in a big degree with Citizen Kane, that some of the techniques he was, he was applying to that film. Um, but in this really, in Psycho, Hitchcock, I feel, has created one of the first modern films. Did, did you feel that, mate, watching it? The thing that caught me was even at the beginning, um, that sort of sweeping shot of the of the city. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, okay. This is usually you would have done. It would have been done in a totally different like the the thing that I would go to right. And this is such a shit comparison. But the thing that kind of jumps out at me when when was Thunderbirds made? Nineteen sixty eight, kind of onwards, maybe. Let's have a quick look. Like I think that was that was kind of like the era. It's got late sixties, early seventies, um, and everything that they did. Nineteen sixty five, it started. Right. Okay. So like everything that they did on on Thunderbirds. If you haven't seen Thunderbirds, if you're listening in the US, maybe didn't make it over there. Um, Basically, Thunderbirds was a, a Jerry Anderson produ- production, um, and it was a series. It was a ch- children's TV show, um, and it was made done with puppets. But it was done with puppets alongside um, practical effects. So if they did explosions, they would do mini explosions, but they would do it on or, a model. Or if sets. they pick things up, they film somebody's hand. Yeah, it up. exactly. Yeah. Which was always creepy. Come yeah. In. Yeah. <laughs> And it would look like that. used that. to give me the willies, you know, when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah. honestly. It was just really weird, wasn't it? But I used to love Thunderbirds as a kid. Yeah. But they would always use these little model sets. And you could tell it was a, a model set. But they did that in films as well. Like, lots of shots done to scale, but like tiny little versions. Um, and what I was amazed with this is that he, the, the grandness of a lot of his sets, like, he had these sort of sweeping shots. And like you said, these tracking shots and moving shots. And then we also got like the Hitchcock effect in this as well don't you where that scene of uh, that that um that moment of um the detective falling down the stairs and the the kind of on one hand the camera is pushing towards him on the other hand it's kind of zooming out the, to make yeah, it's the vertigo effect isn't it? yeah absolutely amazing so good um and yeah you just kind of pick up these little bits as you go one of the other things that jumped out at me is that we got Again, I, my knowledge of cinema at this time is is really, really limited, but it must have been one of the first times that we got the differing points of view in the sense that, like I said at the top, you kind of feel like you have three short stories within this and 
after the shower scene, it almost flicks immediately to Norman Bates's point of view. And he becomes the, almost becomes the protagonist of the story because you're like, how is he going to clear up his mum's mess? But up until that point, it's been Marion's point of view the entire time. You know, that, that the whole way it's been all about her. And then he suddenly killed her off after 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I yeah. can't imagine that there would have been too many films at that point that had, yeah. that had moved in that way. I mean, did, did you, um, I particularly liked, just because I, I do want to pick up on the, on the narrative stuff, but just while we're still here on the, on the camera work, I particularly liked in some of the scenes with the private detective and with the police officer in particular, those really pushed in tight yeah. shots of their faces the police where their officer face dominated the entire screen, right? And it makes it feel like you as the viewer, it makes you feel like they're right up in your grill, doesn't it? And well, yeah, and you also, because the police officer's wearing sunnies, so you, you there's no room for his eyes to flicker, you know? It just feels like they're right, they're literally in the car with you, you know? Like, whereas... Mm. I think sometimes you do, you often don't want when you're shooting you often you, you don't want people looking down the lens because it takes the audience out like the moment that someone looks at is not addressed in the camera and they suddenly look down the lens it throws the audience off whereas because he's wearing these sunglasses he's able to be right in front of the audience and just like his his face is like it feels like his face is like an inch from the camera yeah there's a there's there's a, there's an interesting bit in this, mate. That I don't know if you picked up on, but there's an interesting little fact that I I hadn't picked up on. It was only when I was researching this um, this film that I I'd read that Hitchcock very nicely and very subtly uses, um, especially for Marion's character and for Norman Bates, he uses mirrors a lot of the time, especially at points at which either of them are doing something bad or morally morally dubious shall we say you'll yeah. often see their reflection um in something or other so for example when she's buying the car when she's looking to buy the car you see her reflection very firmly in the car dealership window when she's signing her when she's faking her name in the guest book at the Bates motel you see her reflection on the side and there's various different moments when you see Norman Bates's reflection and a lot of people theorize that this is um Hitchcock's way of making the point that we have two sides to ourselves at all times right. that we're all capable of of having these kind of dual personalities and duality is like one of the big themes of this film obviously quite you know quite firmly in the case of Norman Bates but much more subtly especially in the character of, of Marion Crane. Um, and do we I, do we also get the a mirror shot of her where she almost scares herself? Oh, no, it's it's at the end of the film, it's her sister, isn't it? Sort of scares herself yeah. with her own reflection. Yeah. Because yeah. she's kind of like doing something that she probably, well, she, she's obviously in a scary situation. She's creeping she's, around the house though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's kind of trespassing herself. So she's almost seen her dark side, you know, because yeah. we will talk about, yeah, Lila Crane as well, um, because there are some interesting bits about her when we're talking about the legacy of the of the film and, and what it's done. But I did, I did, I quite like that. I did find that quite an interesting little, uh, little mm. tick to it. But as you've spoken about there, the narrative and the, and the plot, mate, let's, let's have a little look at this because 
it's one of the first examples, at least in mainstream cinema, of a non-linear plot, right? A non-linear narrative structure. We were talking about the spoiler, 60 seconds of spoilers, being quite difficult for this because, as you correctly say, it's, it's at least two, if not kind of three, short stories all thrown together. It's the type of thing that we've seen in something like more recently, like from Dust Till Dawn, for example. There's, there's another example of a film that has a very similar conventional chase element at the top of the film and then swiftly turns into a into a horror midway through with psycho were you were you, were you surprised by that the, the way in which the film started i mean what what were you expecting were you expecting it all to be based on because i, th- I think from the outside I, people someone could be forgiven for thinking okay so the movie's going to be set at this bates motel where you've got this crazy dude living there and suddenly you know, well, the whole premise is, okay, don't go to the Bates Motel because the crazy dude lives there. But really, the the whole element of this takes you by surprise as, a, as an audience member, right? Well, I didn't even... I, I was waiting for her to creep over to the house and sort of get into a tangle in the house. And, like, and then how's she going to get out of the house? Ha- like, I, I could not believe... Even when the shower scene got to the end, I was like, right, she's going to get up now, right? Like she'll she'll get up and be in total peril and and maybe someone will be able to come and save her. I could not believe that after 45 minutes, we spent 45 minutes building up this character that you think is going to be the lead character and then she's just killed off. You know, it's just like gone. I, 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 I it didn't. And it was at that point I was like, where are we going now? Like what is going on? Because I, I didn't know the twist that was going to come at the end as well. Well, because so, it's it's interesting because the baton of suspense is passed from Marion to Norman Bates. Norman Bates mm. suddenly becomes the hero of our story because we don't know we don't know the twist that's coming yet. We just know that he's a guy who has a horrible psychopathic mother that murders people, and he's this actually seemingly yeah awkward weird dude, but he lives. Uh, this kind of funny sheltered existence, like I say, with this awful mother that lives in this house, you're you're almost rooting for him suddenly because you're like, well, he's covering this up, but you understand why he's doing it. And you're suddenly feeling that added suspense of he's going to get caught or he's going to get murdered by his mother. What the fuck, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and seeing her reflection as well, you're like, there's going to be something more sinister about the mother. I wasn't expecting it to be that. And I think... The other thing that that kind of, man, I, I think I am skipping. Yeah, I'm skipping ahead too far here, so I won't go too deep into this. The um, just even the scenes at the beginning where she arrived and there is this sense of tension and this sense of attraction from him to her. Um, after she signed in and he's like, "Oh, have a meal with me. Like, sit, sit and eat with me." Um. Even just that, there was like this building tension. I wasn't expecting to get the release from that tension as quick as you do. Yeah. Usually in horror films or in in kind of like, I guess, psychological thriller films, you kind of drift through the film and it's ramping up and ramping up and ramping up and ramping up, and then at the end you get the big payoff. It just ha- it comes so quickly, and then the fact that you'll kind of find yourself almost wanting Norman Bates to clear up all this blood. You know, mm. like you're kind of like, oh, can you do it in time? It's like, hang on a second, where am I supposed to be? Whose side am I on here? You know, which is quite a, 
quite an interesting position to be in because you don't even know whether you're meant to be on Marion's side at the beginning. That's the thing. Like, really, there's no, there's no point for you to latch onto within this and say, like, this person is the goody, you know, which is a really cool device as well. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, we, we, we do because I think what is interesting about the characters of Marion Crane and Norman Bates, like you say, let's start with Marion Crane because she's so iconic in the, in the, in the respect that it's challenged conventions at the time, movie conventions and societal conventions. Like you're saying, you know, she's this kind of sweet, pretty young thing that you would have seen in, you know, swept into the arms of some dashing leading man in a movie just a couple of years before this was made, who is now suddenly, like you say, this independent kind of go-getting woman who has robbed her boss and is now on the run. Um, that you're kind of, it's morally, because you, what, you know what she's doing is the wrong thing, but it's, it's that kind of question that all of us have of like, if you've got this miserable existence where you're having to sneak off to have a kind of a midday sort of shag with your partner who's maybe married, maybe not. You don't really know what's going on. If you can have this new life for yourself and you've seen this obnoxious cowboy man come in and, you know, just be a real boorish prick in this office, you've got an envelope there of $40,000, which you'd guess is probably something like maybe even quarter of a million dollars in today's money, a lot of money. You kind of think... I kind of see where she's coming from. I kind of get it. And it, it, it maybe is one of the first examples of that moral ambiguity on screen in that way that we've seen so popularised now on in film and television. Everything's about moral ambiguity. Everything's about nobody's a good guy, nobody's a bad guy. But in the case of Marion Crane, you're kind of like, well, are we rooting for her? She has robbed the guy, you know, and she's haunted. Yeah. She's plagued by the guilt of having done that, right? As she's driving through and you hear her playing out the different scenarios as to what might be happening in her head on the drive. This is a really, really weird question to ask, so forgive me. I don't know. Janet Lee, who plays Marion, I, I can't remember what. She died in 2004. And I can't remember her kind of, um, I can't remember having seen her in other films, right? Would she have been, of the time, would she have been kind of like your sort of gorgeous, almost like your stereotypical leading lady at the time? I don't know, you know, I, I guess so. I because guess in, so. Because the thing is that... That for me is like one of the things that was trying to work out when she arrives to the hotel. Is it kind of Im just implied like she's absolutely stunning? Norman Bates is going to have no, like he's just immediately going to find her attractive. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or is he just so starved of the idea of even speaking to a young woman that any young woman is going to be like incredible to him? It's interesting to know. It's interesting. I, you, well, you know, um, Vince Vaughn was in a. It was in a shot for shot remake of, of yes. Psycho, which they made in I think either the late nineties or the very early noughties. Yeah. Um, and like I say, it was it was literally a shot for shot remake. However, 
Because what I do know about this film, it did cause a lot of controversy at the time, as you would imagine, for various reasons, not just for the for the killing side of things, but for a lot of the, as you touched on already, the sexual content within this. And I know Hitchcock had to dial back, and, and I'm not certain on what he dialed back on, but there were certain things that he had to concede on that he wasn't going to be able to get into the film. And I'd be interested to know, because the one thing that stood out for me, I remember from watching the Vince Vaughn remake, and I'm thinking, he didn't do that in the 1960 version, did he? He can't have done, surely. When he looks through the wall, you know, when he lifts the painting out yes. and watches her getting into the shower? Yeah. In the remake, he starts masturbating, watching her uh, really? getting ready. And there's almost a part of me that wonders if they somehow got hold of the script and maybe Hitchcock wanted to put that in there in the original uh, one and they just didn't do that because in this one obviously he lifts the painting away watches her take her top off and then puts the painting back on but and that's really crucial right mm. because that's actually says a lot about his where he is in his mind as well and the sense of shame and the idea of that kind of like on the one hand him sort of wanting these feelings but also being embarrassed about these feelings because he's got his mum in his head and he's got this kind of like split personality disorder and he can't allow the idea of himself being attracted to another woman to become too much of a solid thing because the moment that it does he would be pushing his mum out from his mind and that the weird kind of sexual dynamic between him and his mum and um, but it but it it did strike me. I did th when I was watching it. It's like he's got a hole in the wall where he can look through, and then once he starts looking through, he, he almost puts like a he's got like a safety catch in his mind to stop himself from actually looking at anything too much. You know, he sort of steps away, which I was trying to work out what that was trying to say. I was trying to work out whether that was. I mean, it obviously was intentional, but I didn't know what the intention of it was. Do you know what I mean? Well, because it's funny because it's almost like, you know, he knows all his own worst thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And because his mother exists in there as well somewhere, she does too. So like you say, it's almost like he's he's got this thing there so he can be some kind of voyeuristic little pervert, but he's almost got this inbuilt firewall that's going to stop him from acting on on those kind of base impulses, those base instincts, but has led to him being this strangely kind of sexually repressed man. And, and, and I mean, what what effect does this, like, what effect do you think this has on the audience, mate? Because like we're talking about here, in, 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 con in classic cinema, right, in this, if, it, if you were told Norman Bates is this psycho murderer killer and you have the, you know, the blonde bombshell who is there, you know, on her own, the damsel in distress, why is it that you almost have an air of sympathy for Norman Bates, that you almost see him as the weakest character in this equation? That... Oh. It, 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 it's such a, it must be such a strangely disarming proposition for for especially an audience I mean for an, even an audience now but especially for an audience in 1960 who probably weren't forced to think in this way right 
Yeah, see, this is what, what I was going to say earlier on. I feel like there's a lot here going on around um, the expectations of, of men and the expectation of what it is to be or to be a man at that time. Um, and that kind of idea of him being... Um, him being this kind of almost like a rabbit in headlights, you know, and, and a little bit sheltered and a bit of a mummy's boy and being it, it, the way that he looks is quite slender. The way that he carries himself is very bashful and shy. And what jumped out of me was these are all traits that in kind of 2023, a lot of people would find quite endearing, mm. like a, a, lot, a lot of people. And also full disclosure, I thought he was low key, quite a handsome guy. Anthony Perkis, yeah. Yeah, so you're sort of like, in 2023, he, th th this would have been someone that actually, like, a lot of, a lot of, um, it's become a cliche, or perhaps it was a cliche in the 90s. Yeah, it was a cliche in the 90s and early noughties, as it was like, why does she want to go for that guy? He's the weird guy holding the video camera. Like, that. it's in, um... What what film is it in? Where is it? Never been kissed or American Beauty or something like American that. Beauty, yeah, American yeah. Beauty, where he's like filming the 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 kind of the bag in the wind or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's like flying around. The leaves are flying around everywhere, and it's like we make the joke about the guy being like the creepy weird guy with the video camera who's got secret hidden depth, and that became mm. the that became like oh he's misunderstood. He needs saving. That became the guy. That, that supposedly the girl in the film would want to be with. Whereas at this time, this would have been miles ahead of that. In fact, we know that it was miles ahead of that because we know that the character of Sam was actually the sort of supposedly the guy that you would want to, you would want to kind of go towards, right? Who is like, I mean, he, even at the beginning of the film, he's stacked, right? He's yeah. big, he's kind of good looking, he's quite self-assured even though he's going through his own stuff in his own life. Um, weirdly, I, I sort of it was, found it quite fascinating that we were seeing this guy that has so many flaws, but is actually like a little bit, he's so meek and mild and a bit of a mouse that you end up kind of being like, ah. Oh, Maybe he's not so bad. It's only then when you see him erupt into the frame at the end, dressed in his mum's clothes, holding a knife, that you're suddenly like, Whoa, yeah, fucking hell, get out of here. But it's funny though, because it, 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 what we were talking about earlier about how, you know, the arts represent a kind of a, a change in society. It has been sort of noted that, you know, Norman Bates' character it was a big reflection of this, that that kind of rise of mainstream feminism, it was opening the door for a more complex male characterization on screen. You know, we're talking about like people getting pissed off about Barbie, which is a, a comedy film in 2023. <laughs> I can imagine back then people must have been like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. what, so we're showing this, this kind of... doing? Who Get is this guy that's kind of... Exactly, this sexually troubled weird man who literally the only way seemingly he's able to penetrate women is by stabbing them to death. You know, yeah. there's something very strangely violently phallic in that it's a very kind of like it, it, on screen and I, I don't want to get too film school about this but i think it is very purposeful what is happening in this film this kind of this this way of this this male impotence this this mm. this shadow that he lives under 
And it might, it might not even be a physical impotence when I say that. I'm talking about the, the whole idea of him not functioning in the way that society then would have seen a man. A grown man living under the shadow of his mother, scared of his mother, scared to even, you know, nervous about asking a woman if she wants to have a bit, a pretty woman, you know, a man and a woman alone somewhere in the middle of nowhere who, you know, maybe he might be able to chatter up. I mean, he shouldn't. He's working there. But do you know what I mean? It's the fact that he is so awkward in talking to her. He's scared of what mummy will say to him. Yeah. That the only way he can act out this actual fantasy of, like I say, of penetrating her in some way is to stab her to death because of this violent confusion that's in his head. And I think it is, I think there is a certain lampooning here. You know, I don't. I don't know how much... Alfred Hitchcock was like a, a champion of feminism. There's a there's a lot to say that he very much wasn't when you hear about a lot of his conduct off off camera that's I guess come out latterly and later years and things like that. His treatment of women on set and the way he did act, but you you can't help but feel because like you, you were talking about there, Sam. Yeah, okay, Sam. He's he's the stacked. He's the handsome leading man who, like I say, in a movie. Two, three years ago, he's the Hollywood leading man. He's a, what can I tell you, sweetheart? You know, the guy that's going to sweep them off their feet and save the day. But he's a guy who's broke. He's unhappy with how his life is. He's sneaking off into a hotel. He just works in some menial job in the back of some, like, tool shop, you know? And most importantly is Marion, the woman in the relationship, is the one trying to make them a better life. And I'm, I'm not saying this is in this is my view on this being strange. I'm saying, again, it's reflective of the changing attitudes at the time that the woman is taking it into her own hands to, to make a better life for them by, by taking a risk, by doing something dangerous. And obviously it ends up leading to her demise. And this, the classic handsome leading man, he was sidelined. He wasn't even able to save her. You know, he was nowhere to be seen. He didn't know what was going on, and it, it just it feels it feels it feels like a, a quite purposeful, I guess, evisceration of of like men's place in film, men and women's place in film, and the way in which films are structured back then. Right, it felt to me like Hitchcock really here is like ripping it up. He's ripping up the rule book and doing something radical, you know. Yeah, and, and the the character of Sam's the one that gets overpowered, right? He gets overpowered by little weedy Norman Bates, who's got yeah. not much, not much to him at all. And they, they're outsmarted as well. You know, they think they've managed to kind of get the edge on him, and they find themselves being completely outdone. Um, and and I thought that was, I thought that kind of sequence. I really like the detective scenes as well for that. You know, for the for the fact that you see Norman Bates squirming around, and he feels it's a little bit like um, it was a little bit like watching. You know, when you've got kind of like a when someone's got a like a a magnifying glass with an ant. You know, yeah. it was like just watching this guy like so far ahead of him, just burning his feelers off. But again, we don't. We, as the audience, we don't know that actually Norman Bates has got another side to him that puts him sort of three steps ahead of everyone. You know that he's in terms of the filmmaking, he's a mile ahead of the audience. And so when you're feeling this sense of pity for him and like, 
oh God, how's he going to get out of this? You're not ready then. You know, we were saying earlier on that it's kind of like this three acts or three short stories. You're so not ready to have that flipped on its head again and for you to be like, get him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're, you're like, because in the second act, you're like, oh, maybe he'll sort of get out of it. And I don't know whether I want him to get out of it. I'm conflicted by this. But in the in the third act, you're just like, get that guy now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Because like one minute, you, one minute, you're so totally defensive of him. You think, oh, bloody hell. Like it, I mean, he's a bit messed up. It is like, it's not his fault. His mum's a complete wacko. And then suddenly you're just like, lock him up. Because he's like bullying him though, up. isn't he? He's bullying, like you say, that detective. And that's, to me, again, like it's so well written and so well acted. It's so well paced, that scene in particular, that sort of tennis between the between the detective and Norman Bates, where you are like, leave him alone. Like, yeah. like the, and the, your, your analogy of the ant under the magnifying glass is perfect with that. Like, because you, you can't help but feel bad for Norman Bates. And it's so, it just adds to the, it adds to the impact of what happens right at the end. I mean, di- and so when you, when because uh, I, I really am interested to know, mate, like how much of it permeated kind of, you know, culture in other ways. And, and you, you knew about it. Did, was the twist a genuine twist to you? Yeah, yeah, huge. End? Like when really? he came running around the corner, I was like, Ugh! like it, it really sort of like, um, I was watching on my iPad in bed and I squirmed. Like I actually squirmed. It was like uncomfortable. It's like that. Um, I can't remember what we, what we were talking about before with this, but it's a, it's a real like guttural, like, Oh, get him, get him, fucking get him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, just on top of that as well, I would say this is one of the other things we probably missed earlier on. Um, do you remember when we were talking about, I think it would have been, let me tell you, just quickly go back through our episodes, play some whole music for you. Um, I think it would have been in Bruges. Yeah, it was in Bruges we were talking about this. And it was that idea of like breadcrumbing, you know? Yeah, yeah. The idea of just laying down these little bits that you're going to circle back to later on, like really, really intentional filmmaking. And it, 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 I knew there were bits of it that he was dropping, right? Because she tears up the pieces of the paper and drops it in the toilet and then it's found later on. But there were so many clues throughout the film. There were so many bits and pieces where he was telling you what was coming, but as an audience member, you just don't realise what he's telling you. And no. that must have been miles ahead of its time as well. The idea that it was kind of like this this, this kind of like foreshadowing, just dropping little little hints here and there and little clues here and there um, for you as an audience member to kind of stumble over. And then as it comes around and you reach the climax, you're like, of course, you know, how did I miss that? We didn't. We haven't seen his mum at all. You know. Yeah. It. 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 It's bad, isn't it? I think one of the one of the crucial parts we we have to uh, we have to touch on with Psycho because we we have sort of nodded to it already was the use of and it the the composer for this was Bernard Herrmann, um his score in building that tension and really enhancing that experience. Like, what did you make of me? Because I, again, I didn't really know, like, it didn't really sink in until I read afterwards that the entirety of the score is made up of just strings. It's all yeah. strings. What, what did you, what, what effect it? I mean, you've already said at the very beginning, the dun, 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 dun yeah. music. But that's it, all it, the way through as well, isn't it? Like, it I gets you, like, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's... Um, 
one of the other things is that even though um, even though it is even though it's searing strings, what it like what it does for you um, as we're going through when it often when it's like repeating them, they're adding, adding a little bit of like really hazy voiceover, which was quite scary as well because it was really sinister voices. Yeah, you know, when, like, when they're playing like, through her head, like when yeah, she's driving, she's like yeah. running away and stuff, and there's kind of like that weird kind of, it's kind of in a monologue, but it's also the implication is that that's what's actually happening, that that's yeah. what's really going on, um, and every time you got it, you were like, oh, something bad's about to happen, and I felt like something bad was about to happen from the opening titles, you know, and then we go to this massive, massive kind of like panning shot of, um, is it where are we in the film? We in um, Arizona. Is it Arizona? I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sort it of is, comes yeah. up with the titles. And you're like, why is this scary? You know, why am I nervous? <laughs> so yeah. it is, it's so powerful. And it's so sort of, I don't know, what is it about? Is it is it about that kind of like really striking sort of like the very sharp strings that makes you just so uncomfortable? It's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's just, it, it is so unnerving. And again, it must be, it must be a primal thing, right? Again, it must be tapping into something in our yeah, in our totally. nature, not totally. liking that discordant sound, the the physical effect it has upon us. And it, all music has a physical effect upon us, but this one in particular is, you know, it's so it's so brutal. It it, it really does perfectly orchestrate the idea, the thought of like a knife searing through flesh, doesn't it? You know that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just, and I mean that sound. I mean, technically, if the, uh, I mean, I, I know we're talking about the score, but that sound, that kind of like, dee, 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 like really kind of like shrieking high pitched sound in the shower scene, and also th throughout, like, also I wonder whether you know the scene where he kills the detective, and he kind of like erupts round the the stairs and just stabs him at the top of the stairs. Yeah. Have they sped up his movement? I mean, it's so unnerving and unnatural. You know, yeah, that's it, isn't it? He sort of glides across the... Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's like another one of those moments where you're like, have you ever seen, have you ever seen the stage show, The Women in Black? I have. It's horrible. Isn't it? Like, you know yeah, the way she just erupts out of nowhere and just is that there and you're like, oh, yeah, go away, go away. And, yeah. yeah. And again, it's like this really high pitched like sharp rising kind of like it just makes you so uncomfortable and so tense do, do you know where else you see it? have you seen the film 127 hours of james franco the one where he gets his arm trapped yeah where yeah he, gets arm trapped and he has to ago. end up cutting it off yeah right? and there's that scene in that when he's going through the process of he decides he's gonna have to cut his own arm off and he gets to the nerve remember that when he gets to the nerve and he knows that's going to be the painful part. And every time he starts like cutting through a nerve, it again makes that sharp kind of strings noise. And it really, oh. you really feel it. You really feel it every time he does it. And the, you know, the, the use of color in that scene in particular in 127 oh. hours, it's like, it's like flashing bright colors and that kind of that high discordant string noise. Yeah. It's as like he cuts white the nerve. Hot. Yeah. And it's just, it's so well captured here. Like it's, I'd it's... love to know what that is, though. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that, that sound when, when that they play when she's in the shower, right? Mm. And it is like a, it is so high pitched and sharp. Like, why is it that we feel uncomfortable from that? 
You know, what is it about? There's something in there. There must be something in that note that we are just hardwired to to feel uncomfortable from. You know, whether it's, the, or perhaps it's the volume, perhaps it is like an increase in volume or perhaps it's because it's so high pitched, it's at the, the, almost at the limits of our frequency. Potentially, that yeah. That is naturally like really uncomfortable. If someone does know, by the way, comment and hit us up in the, on, on the know, DMs because yeah. I'd love to know that because it is, because um, it, it's, um, it, I, I know I've spoken about this before, but if you, the soundtrack from Signs um is there is just like these strings just going and it is it's really unsettling and unnerving and you're like why am i unsettled the same with jaws right just the how am i already on edge like i haven't even seen the bloody shark like i've already just yeah it's so good isn't it oh man unbelievable when you first because you first messaged me as you watched this and I was, I was happy to see it because you were like oh my god this is sick basically why am i petrified during the credits <laughs> yeah right because psycho has had a huge cinematic legacy alfred hitchcock has done but psycho has had a huge you know it, it pretty much pioneered the the slasher genre um it laid the groundwork for a for a lot of for a lot of these type of horror films what? Because I remember you saying to me on WhatsApp, you noticed various different bits and pieces yeah. being picked up by other films. What were some of those that you you noticed in terms of its its later its later impact and legacy? Well, so because we done we done American Psycho right, and there was there were like, I mean, watching American Psycho, had I watched it after watching Psycho, I would have been like, there are scenes literally lifted, you know, there are like bits of it literally lifted. That they that they grab hold of, um, the woman in black, the film. There was there was that they literally grab hold of that movement that we spoke about um, of him coming around the corner on the stairs and that idea of moving really quickly and that being really really scary and unnatural and then the sort of unnatural movement. Um, it, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, I, I even um, the film Prisoners. It, for some reason, I, I know that Psycho has kind of influenced the kind of like slasher um, genre massively, right? With Friday the Thirteenth and the, the Halloween and and um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. But I feel like m so many psychological thrillers have just borrowed stuff from there as well. Yeah, which is just absolutely unbelievable. Like it was it. it, it there was what was the other one that I said to you I'm going to try and grab this back because there was one straight away that was like it, it was a really bizarre kind of left field one but I was like how is it that it like it's influenced this you know it just goes to show how far and wide this kind of the impact was what what are some of yours while I'm finding this well I mean there's John Carpenter Halloween which came out in 1978 has borrowed a lot from Psycho. Even, I mean, then there's conscious nods to it in so much as the psychologist who is chasing down Michael Myers is called Samuel Loomis. And that Sam Loomis is the, obviously is the, is the, the boyfriend, the foil of, of Marion, Marion Crane in this film. Um, 
But what one of the big impacts, and this is again something that I've, I've read about after having rewatched the film again, is that Psycho essentially birthed the uh, the sense of what people call the final girl trope. Ah, uh, yes. And now, it, and it's it's very interesting because it wasn't until this was spelled out to me that I suddenly thought, oh yeah, that is that's definitely a thing, right? And. The, the, so the final girl trope, essentially, is and I'll, I'll give you. So this is from the this is from where have I read this from in particular? Like uh, so, it's a horror like a horror wiki. I'm reading this on where it's essentially it's a trope that specifically refers to the last woman or girl alive to confront the killer, ostensibly the one left to tell the story. Um, so we've seen this kind of examined in lots of films, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Alien, Halloween, Scream, Friday the 13th. But people believe that this began um, with Psycho. Um, and what they're essentially saying is that generally it's characterised that the final girl is, is not really an object of sexual desire within the film. Um She's almost like a unisex androgynous character mm. who will have some emotional stake within the film, but they are essentially, and this is this is coming again from this from this wiki I'm reading, where they they say that she's investigating the consciousness of the film itself, and also serving to move the narrative forwards. So generally speaking, she exhibits intelligence, curiosity, and vigilance. And obviously, in the case of this, is this is Lila Lila Crane, Marion Crane's sister, played by Vera Miles, who does seem to be, you know, does seem to completely fulfil this role. Who comes in? Who is this? You know, almost sexless character. She is the sister of Marion Crane, and she is just there to investigate this, to to cut through all of this with no objective other than to find her sister she doesn't care about the money she doesn't care about the investigation she doesn't care about the motel none of that she doesn't care about norman bates or norman bates's mother she just wants to know where marion is and thus that leads her to to uncover the story and obviously doesn't die at the end mainly because sam stops stops norma bates at that point from from stabbing him to death but, but it, it's it, it's, it's her interesting. who gets the closest though right yeah. To understanding, it's her who who actually un and she's the one throughout the film who always is like trusting her gut. Yeah, you know she's like I'm sure there's more to this than we're than we're seeing, and she's the one who goes and pushes for it. Um, but I, what's really interesting, right, is that I'd we always sort of like there's the there's running jokes about horror films who gets killed first and who who's the person that always survives and and the the hot girl being the one that dies at the beginning and stuff and and I I know films like scary movie have absolutely torn that to shreds you know um but it wasn't until you pointed that out within the the running order for today that I was like oh yeah that's actually like a it's a very kind of uh, interesting sort of device and trope to have in there as this person that kind of comes in literally just as the, they're almost like the conduit through which you're going to find out the, the the reality behind everything and take us to the end point. The only thing is in this that we get that's slightly different is that we get that scene with the, the psychiatrist or the psychologist, mm. the the 
the guy who kind of comes in and explains everything in a bit of a monologue um, and takes it on a, perhaps a level that, that Lila didn't get to. You know, she reveals him and he's kind of unmasked and he's literally, his identity is kind of um, torn from him, right? Because as as Sam is holding him down, you see his face kind of, he sort of has this weird like out of body thing that he's talking yeah. in tongues, but then he's kind of like breaking down as like the costume's falling off him. And the, I think the implication there is that almost like he goes into a trance-like state when he goes and um, commits those acts. Uh but at the same time, we then get this strange, like, it's a, it, it's the one thing that I would kind of uh, stuck with me as a bit of a hang up on the film is that, that did at the time, would there have been such a lack of understanding of what split personality disorder might be or such a lack of understanding of what he was going, th- um, Norma Bates' character was going through that he felt he needed to explain it and there was terror in the idea of someone explain it so explaining it so candidly mm. as that um and the other thing that i didn't that i kind of sort of took from that was that it kind of felt like it jumped very very quickly into this idea of like whoa okay so he's poisoned his mum he's poisoned his mum and he's poisoned the the partner is yeah, the it the lover and he's done that, that done that both at the same time. And so she's been dead there for quite some time. And then are we supposed to, as the audience, assume that because of his ability as a taxidermist, he's kind of like kept her in that yeah. strange condition down there? Yeah. Is that it's... kind of like where we, like, have I read that right? Because like I said, I've yeah, only yeah, kind definitely. of watched yeah. it. Like that, this was, again, I'm watching this through fresh eyes and without the kind of like... Um, the kind of years and years and years of it, it, it just being part of my consciousness around film. So for me, that was kind of like quite an interesting one that was like, okay, in the space of five minutes, it's like there's information just poured into your, into your head. You know, it's so much happens in that bit of the film. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot, isn't there? There is a lot going on in, in this film, which, yeah, it's, it, it I was surprised I could take as much from it as I could because, again, like I say, when I watched this as a, as a kid, it was just the scary stabbing someone in the shower film. And now watching it as a... I mean, I probably... I don't know when I last watched this, quite some time ago. And again, that was probably from a point of nostalgia. But watching this with a more sort of analytical look at it, I was I was quite surprised by like how complex and how deep the film was because I always, and maybe it's a reminder for me, I always have this kind of like idea of like a black and white film, something from the 60s yeah. or before as being kind of twee, kind of naive, kind of silly in its themes. But I, I, I mean, for example, even as I got older, I suddenly like, when I watched like It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas time, just a few years ago, because I've, I've always sort of watched that down the years. And I remember just suddenly getting to like my mid 20s and watching It's a Wonderful Life again, and suddenly thinking, like, fuck, man, this film is actually really deep. Like, it's really, yeah. really yeah. deep film. You know, the, the, the guy's about to commit suicide on Christmas Eve, you know? And you don't really... Like, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, he's going to jump, and then the funny, like, angel man stops him kind of thing. It's. Do you also think, though, that's partly because um, it's a very natural thing to think that we know now 
better than people did 50 years ago. You know, well, there's, and we, there's that we, saying, isn't that everybody thinks their grandparents didn't fuck? You know, it's yeah, that, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's that type of expression, right? Yeah, and it's and and it's this thing that because we've got so much technology that we believe we're better informed, but actually yeah. everyone's still trying to understand the mysteries of the universe and the yeah. meaning of life in a, in a way that people always have. You know, and, and those questions would have been there. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, in the same way that they are now. It's just that people's life expectancy would have been slightly less and their access to healthcare would have been slightly less and their access to in, to technology would have been slightly less, you know. Did you study this for um, for university? Potentially, yeah. But I think this was, it would have been more from a technical point of view. Like, the, yeah. I know the shower scene, I know it was... There's something, there's a ludicrous, I can't remember exactly what it is, but there's like a ludicrous amount of different camera setups that Hitchcock, it really is like his, you know, his magus, magnus opus, you say, don't you? Like his greatest mm. work, that shower scene where I think it's, honestly, I think it's like 60 or 70 different shots that combine to go into that shower scene sequence, which really does heighten the impact of it you know it really heightens that discordant terrifying kind of effect of what's going on there and like you were saying point a point b seeing it kind of from the view of marion as she's getting stabbed is is horrible it's horrible you know and like we we're saying before this most films were set up like a stage play one static camera in the middle of a set and people just moved around it and that was that um very very creepy. Did you, so? I, I guess just in 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 closing on this part, mate, the main sort of body of the the pod. Did you enjoy it? Did you did you enjoy the film? Did you actually watch yeah, this and mate. think this was good? Like as yeah, an, because like, I, from an old film. Yeah, I I because I'm like slashes aren't my aren't my sort of like if if you, if I've got five different genres of film on at the cinema, right? So we've got. Um, a kind of very deep thinker. We've got like a, a rom-com, an action film, um, maybe something that's a little bit sort of quirky and out there and then a slasher. It it, it would be probably bottom of the list for me in terms yeah. of like the genre of film that I'd go to see. Um, but I love things that scare me. Like I, I like being genuinely scared, you know, and... I'm, I don't know about you, I'm finding it harder and harder and harder to find films now that don't just fall into really cliche, stereotypical, jump scare style. Sure. Wow, yeah. That's panicked me, you know. Yeah. Um, and the things that actually scare me, like I said, are things where you take people in normal situations and watch the whole thing, just tug at that thread and watch the whole thing fall apart. Mm -hmm. And so this, for me, like I, I was watching it in my, <laughs> I was like I said, I was watching on my iPad and I was watching it like in bed and it's pitch black and it got to the point where I was sort of like, I went and opened the door. <laughs> <laughs> went and opened the door of my bedroom just to let a little bit of light in yeah so i was like this yeah, is yeah. so intense like it's just so yeah. much i can't it really see is it. so isn't it it well, really is because i've got my my airpods in while i'm watching it as well which are noise cancelling so then you've not got any outside noise coming in 
which is it, it then is even more like oh my god if there's something around I won't hear it <laughs> so I took I took the noise cancellation off my airpods as well so I could have a bit of background noise and then let a little bit of light into my room and it was it genuinely I it really spooked me you know can, it really I'll let you in on something mate like right now at the moment like because like I said, we are between, you know, we are dog sitting and I've, I've come home to record this because I've got all my, you know, my proper mic and everything here. Are you on your so own at home? I'm on my own at home and I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sat here and I'm like, That's like, the power of it, mate. That's the power. And that was now, like I was saying. In the, in the time that we've been recording this, my whole house has gotten dark. My house, my, all the rest yeah. of my house is dark. And now I'm sat here just up here in this room on my own. And I'm like, I've got this funny veil of safety where it feels like I'm with somebody because I'm talking to yeah, you through yeah, a computer, yeah, yeah. but I'm on my own in a so, dark house. <laughs> so this is exactly what, you know, we were talking about earlier on and you were sort of saying about that feeling of um, that you were on the, the cable car and yeah. that was the, that, that sort of paralyzing fear. So I watched, a, I don't know why, um, uh, I, I watched a documentary on the crimes of someone called the black panther i don't know if okay. you it's 1971 a guy called donald nielsen and I, I think this is right but he was um an armed robber kidnapper and murderer it says on wikipedia but basically he kidnapped women and then would leave you know how kind of like with serial killers or people that commit serial crimes often they kind of half want the notoriety of mm they want people to know who they are. They don't want to be faceless. And he would leave clues in, um, he would leave clues in phone boxes, the old school red phone boxes. Oh. And I don't know why, but as a kid, I watched this documentary, but I didn't get to the end of the documentary because I had to go to bed. And so I never found out what happened to him. And just any time I passed buy a red phone box at night i'd like speed up walking or try and like mm. get away because it just like has that that sort of deep rooted thing within you where it's just like i'm uncomfortable i'm unsafe and yeah. i think this is the thing with this film is that it does that thing right when she's driving like we said when she's driving she's driving deeper and deeper into trouble and at the same time it's getting darker and darker and more and more isolated. And so when you're watching it, if you're in a situation where it feels dark and you're a little bit isolated, it really ramps up the tension and the fear that you feel um, as, as you go along. And and it's, I think the age over the course of time, I know we're going to a fine wine section, but I think time passing has made it more terrifying, not less. I wonder if there's something in that, like we're talking about the our lens on anything that's old, being naive, being having this kind of childlike quality to it. I wonder if there's something like where we're ushering ourselves into a space where we think this is going to be a safe space, 1960, I can handle this, whatever. And then suddenly you're hit in the face of everything that you get in Psycho, that again, part of a, that legacy of Alfred Hitchcock is still managing to subvert even that, maybe even unintentionally, but it's still it, it's hitting you in a place where you wouldn't expect it to, and it's it 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 still gets you. Um, well, let me track this to you then. Mm. Why is it that the well, two questions? Why is it that the nineteen ninety eight one was not well received? Like, 
it, because there must be something in that, right? If it was shot for shot, almost, why is it that the the Alfred Hitchcock's one is iconic and the one in 98 yes there's a there's an element of the idea of it being like a a copyright and everything everything yeah that and that's one thing but i don't know how many genuinely terrifying films has have there been in the last sort of decade that you go oh my god that like it's it scared the life out of me in the same way that this scares you not many. I guess in terms of the remake, there's number one, I guess, is like you can make something shot for shot or whatever, but sometimes it's just a there's just a perfect blend when a film comes together, right? And the Anthony Perkins in particular, the score, the way it almost sounds a bit aged now, it has that kind yeah. of crackly, scary old gramophone type effect to it. There's just mm. a lot of different elements there that, and like I say, even the fact that you maybe do go into a black and white film and expect something a bit different, it catches you unawares. Yeah, yeah. That a remake, a shot-for-shot shot remake, isn't isn't gonna capture in the same way. Um, because really, when you actually when you actually think about it, like when you compare it to how a lot of slasher and horror films are now, Psycho wasn't filled with jump scares. It wasn't filled with violence and gore and all this type of thing was less is more it was it was just as the the, the 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 real impact from the film came from the suspense the constant suspense that hitchcock manages to create and i think when you kind of know when you're like okay let's see how they do the shower scene in the 1998 remake you're not really there for the suspense yeah, and you're that's not there true. for for, for the twist and all that type of thing you're just there to watch how they've remade it and it, it does just make you think why would you remake in a shot for shot way such a classic film like that it you know it just seems seems like an odd decision doesn't it well and that's the thing that gets you right is that it is the the sense of dread yeah and kind of like terror that's what's taking you through the film um but i like i i'm quite interested to watch it again now with now knowing what's coming to see whether it, it does the same thing to me I've got the, the, I I had I was quite fortunate this week in that I had one of those experiences right where often if I've really really enjoyed a series I'll think oh, I wish I could unsee it so I could watch it again for the first time yeah you know whereas I've actually had that this week which has been really nice in that I literally had no idea that that twist was coming at the end so when it came yeah. I, it really threw me and like really I was just like quite profoundly uncomfortable and petrified which is really really cool and like I say I don't it doesn't there's not many I think the the last one the last ones that I saw that I would have been like wow that's actually really quite scary would have been something like The Ring you know, yeah, when I yeah, first watched horrible. The Ring, I was like, that is horrid. Like, it's really, yeah. really scary. So, no, mate, I loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. That, that I mean, just to end on that, that, that last scene, like you said there, the slow pan towards him oh. when you see the, the smile break out on his face. He wouldn't hurt a fly. You know, yeah. it's creepy. Did you, did you see the skull as well? The face superimposed over his right at the end. Oh, have I missed it? So very, very faintly, you see it for maybe five or six frames, right? 
just right at the very end before it cuts back to the, the end and you see the car being dredged from the tarpit. You see him smiling into the lens and you see superimposed over his face, laid Ooh. over his face, the face, the, the like mummified face of Norma Bates laid over his face. Oh my which, God. And also that imi- the imagery it, is of the one car of those, being when you pulled see out. It, it's creepy. Like, because it says the end and the car's being pulled out, right? Yeah. So... Are we to think that there's kind of a tiny bit of a loose end there? Like, are we to think that they might... What is the significance of the car? That's where she... It's what she was in, wasn't it? She was in the boot. But it, but is it, isn't, is the money in the car? It is, yeah. The money is in the car as well. So, yeah. so does that mean that potentially they recover that as well? You know, it's quite interesting that they yeah. sort of... Uh, it's quite a yeah is it because it's quite an interesting shot to end on because they could end mm. on the shot of him right and also like you said by the way that the way that he manages to do that face with his head pointed downwards but his eyes pointing up it's so evil it's so unbelievably evil it's just it's creepy, horrible oh grotesque but amazing at the same time absolutely amazing creepy 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 but a great film a great oh, film. i loved it mate what a suggestion so I guess the, the, the question now, mate, is fine wine or war crime? We're at, we're at that point. It's a film from 1960. We're watching it in 2023. There's a lot of big, lot of big themes, a lot of big issues in there. Um, how do you think it aged? So surely this for us has to be up there with the finest of fine wines for the fact that it's the benchmark for others and i know we didn't really go in too heavily on the genre thing but this is not it's not just a horror film is it really this is a psychological thriller um at a time when they didn't they weren't a thing you know you couldn't really from a technological point of view you just wouldn't be able to have this so so much of it has, has drifted through into the the bits and pieces that we that we've picked up across the pod but also i mean i think i was going to get you that um i was going to get you the the other the other films that i kind of felt it had influenced as well um uh and the reason why was because for this i wanted to kind of uh i wanted to pick them out and say why i think it's a fine so no country for old men was yeah. another example yeah and I loved that film. I thought it was absolutely incredible. And then when I watched Psycho, I was like, again, so much of it has been lifted from Psycho. Kill Bill, for example, and them using the iron side. It's like, again, it's a total kind of chuck away to 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 Psycho and the, the shower scene or the, the scene at the top of the stairs. So for yeah. me, I'm trying to think whether there's anything... But there's anything really kind of obviously it's of its time, but there were so many ideas within it that were quite forward thinking and that that now would be conversations that you might still have in 2023. I don't know. What do you think? I guess the only thing that probably would jump out for me is, and this is based on the criticism we saw of of, uh, Science of the Lambs at the time, that one might want to say that, you know, again, you have somebody who is cross-dressing who is the one that's you know this murderer this villain this baddie but 
I don't even see it as like they were making a a, a statement on people who did that. It, it seemed to me that, you know, for a 1960s, it's actually going into quite a complex matter of, you know, mental health, of how of how trauma and you know we spoke about childhood trauma in a, in a thing earlier but talking about how trauma the way in which he was abused by his mother has manifested in his adult life in him becoming who he is i think it's it, to me it does seem like that kind of complex exploration of identity and somebody who is struggling with the with the effect of trauma and that yeah, sounds ridiculous yeah. to say of the re, re, re shower murder film but i do think there's a, there's a lot going on there and yeah okay the psychologist spelling it all out at the end with the pipe in his in his mouth, you know, and it's almost like it almost gets a bit comedy when she's like, "Can you just tell? Is my sister dead? Do you know what I mean?" He's like, "Oh well, you know," blah, blah. and she's like, "So she is dead." Do you know what I mean? He's like, "Well, sorry, I mean, just to confirm, she's horribly yeah. dead, right? Yeah, Slashed yeah. to death." Well, oh yeah, but wait one second. Your sister's dead. It's actually about the fact that it wasn't Norman Bates who killed her. It was Norma. Yeah, so that kind of way. Colombo, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spelling it out was probably a bit like heavy-handed, but still, you know, I don't even think it's about like the way it was represented in film. I, you know, I, you can you can probably find out examples from even twenty years ago where people's understanding of mental health was not great. Even today, yeah. in probably in five or ten years' time, people are going to be like, in twenty twenty three, they thought, you know, so it's. I I I think it is. I think it's a a fine wine. I don't think it. I don't even think it was using kind of mental health in a particularly ugly no, way. Like no, in terms of, no. it, 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 I've seen worse examples of this person's crazy and they're going to go on a killing spree in movies from 10, 20 years ago. Let alone yeah. one from you know. Can what I is it now? To Sixty you. years ago, like you know, in in the film Seven. Mm. like that his kind of what's in the box moment and we just we're left to as an audience we're left to be like well he is just pathologically horrendous you know no kind of real it doesn't go like very deep into the the psychology of a serial killer slash kind of like what is he he's he's also emotionally manipulating people whilst doing the the kind of he's not just killing for himself he's also killing for the sport of it as well yeah. you're just kind of left there at the end with brad pitt being like your missus is decapitated yeah soz <laughs> you know whereas like because because psychopath and that's yeah, kind of exactly. the, the reason given isn't it you know yeah exactly whereas at least in this we kind of get that payoff as well you know but it, again that was quite that was so far ahead of its time to have a payoff like that which is a third act where we haven't seen Norma Bates as a character in any way like that at all. Like what an unbelievable twist to just have him sort of suddenly. Again, I don't know because I haven't, because I haven't watched any of them, but there was like a load more films, right? Yeah, was there like yeah. a load of follow-up films? Four or five, yeah. And I've never, I've never watched any of those either, but I'm, I'm assuming that was kind of just too good to to leave untouched. I so assume so, they yeah. just sort of felt like, well, this is we just have to keep going with this. And did he return for all of those? Anthony Perkins did, yeah, yeah, he did. Right, okay. Um, um, I didn't realize. Did he die quite young? I think he might have died of AIDS. 
He did. Um, it, it seems to be that he he was yeah you know, he was uh, you know married man um, with kids and everything. But it seems to be that yeah posthumously people found out that yeah he he lived a a closeted homosexual life as well um, and contracted AIDS yeah whilst you know was living a life that he felt he couldn't um just yeah quite tragic really you know yeah so, sad thing um i mean I, I i did sort of skip ahead to t i'm i'm no good at doing this like you mate but he's the mvp for me in this one anthony perkis i think i have to give it to him Janet yeah he's great in it but i think anthony perkis's presence on screen is unbelievable well and also we get he plays three almost four characters as yeah. well you know, which is is incredible, and like, I think one of the one of the cool things about his performance is when he sat in the pantry and he does the conversation with her, and and she sort of almost insults his mother, and he he flickers. You mm. know how hard that must be to do with with sort of that level of punctuation to your performance, where you can be meek and mild and totally. He still feels threatening somehow but you just can't work out what it is. You know, that is a real, that's unbelievable to have that sort of turn where you can go, I'm going to be this kind of wiry, quite skeletal sort of um, weirdo, I guess, and then suddenly come into like laser focus to make you feel completely uncomfortable and unsettled just by talking about my mum <laughs> it's like yeah. it's so like it's so powerful but he yeah he stole it from me um and i i mean i i suppose you would you would go big sort of um uh big assist to sorry her name completely has escaped me again uh janet janet lee janet lee um but yeah that he's he's my mvp big time yeah do you want another ratings? Hit me. It's a big end, mate. It's a big end, this it? one. It's a classic for a reason. Where did it come IMDb? What, what was it in the ID, IMDb top 250? It's 8.5 it? on IMDb. Let's have a look. IMDb top 250, is it? Yeah, yeah. Top 250 movies. Let's have a look. Have a look what we got here. Shawshank Redemption number one, isn't it? Um, okay, so it's not top 10. It's not top 20. Seven is above it. There we go. Science of the Lambs is above it. Wow. Let's, have a look. Let's see if it's in there. 34. So it's in the top 250. Number 34. That's pretty good return. Yeah. But I think, again, that's that kind of classic thing of it's too old. You know, it's it's too old for people to kind of give it the chart. Like, and again, that was that's my that would be my kind of get out of jail on this one. Was that it's it like it, it it being black and white almost feels like a barrier to entry, right? Almost feels like a oh well maybe it's too old, but actually like you said, it's one of those like so many of these films, you actually just need to stop and and sort of see past the fact that it's not in colour, which is very lazy of me, you know. Yeah, no, no, I know what you mean though. It's it's just it's the it's just the way our brains work, I think. Yeah. You know? Um, Rotten Tomatoes, certified fresh, 96% from the critics, 95% from the audience, which is good to okay. see. And like, oh, that's very consistent as well. Yeah. And Metacritic, wow, 97% on Metacritic. Mate, this is one of the best ones we've ever had. 
I think so. It might be the maybe actually Godfather probably still, but it's up there. It's up there. Um, the Telegraph said Hitchcock's mischievous genius for audience manipulation is everywhere. In the noirish angularity of the cinematography, in his use of Bernard Herrmann's stabbing string score, in the ornithological imagery that creates a bizarre sense of preying and being preyed upon. Oh, we missed that. We didn't get onto that. We like mm. barely spoke about that. Empire, timeless classics, superb performances, and the infamous shower scene make this the perfect nightmare. Yeah. Very, uh, very well put. Yeah. It's um, it's brilliant. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, mate. And I'm glad mate. It's, it's 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 a first given. It, it's first one that one of us hasn't seen. So no, uh, Thelma and Louise was the other one. Oh, was it? Oh, mate. Yeah, Thelma oh, and Louise yeah. was the other one. And both like I mean, this this is it's so cool watching classic films, like amazing classic films for the first time because you almost can kind of the cool thing with it is is that you can almost like put your swords down a little bit. Do you know what I mean? You can be like, I don't have to worry about whether this film is going to capture me because even if it, even if it's not like the greatest film ever, it's going to be like a 9.5. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you just sort of can relax. And that was the thing is that I was like, right, well, I'll just relax and enjoy this. And the bloody score came on and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you like, would you like to know the the big question? Well, I was going to say so. I mean, we're not. Are we going to let everybody in on on what's happening next week? And I wanted to know if 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 we were doing the film or how how this is going to work. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I'll know the film, but we won't be talking about it next week, will we? Yeah. So we're both we're both away on getting some getting some holly bobs next week. Um, that is such an awful word. We're both away on holiday oh, no. next week. I don't know why on earth I've had to bring the tone down with that awful parlance um <laughs> but uh yeah we're both away so we are going to do a little bit of a special for you next week where we kind of talk through the film so far and um some of the questions that we've had come in during pods uh, that we haven't quite addressed so we'll get onto them but do you want me to pick a film now yeah go on let's do it let's do it, it okay wouldn't, it wouldn't be an opposite it wouldn't be an episode of by wob Okay, so I just say for me, screaming. Can you hear bloody foxes screaming outside? Jesus, mate, that was scaring a lot. I thought you had maybe like a YouTube video on or something. That is the last thing you need in a dark room, right? After we've just spoken about bloody psycho, got the foxes screaming outside my house. I can actually hear them still. Yeah, fucking hell. (laughs) Okay, so. I think there has been one big omission on the active front. I mean, there's been a few big omissions, but there's one very, very big one in particular. Um, And I've got three options at the moment, and I'm going to do it under pressure. Um, Oh, my God. This is so tough because you just don't want to get it wrong. Um... I am gonna go for. Okay, shall I tell you the guy? Yeah, we're gonna go for a bit of Leo because we haven't had DiCaprio yet. Um, And then basically, the choice that I've got to make here is whether we go mainstream, whether we go 
big on the uh, on the discussion um, and go very very deep, or whether we go a little bit cannon fodder. And so what I'm gonna do because I think Leo DiCaprio will come up again and again and again and again and again. So I'm gonna take it back and I'm gonna take it slightly more old school and go a little bit more niche. And I'm gonna go for the beach. Oh, okay. Because I, I basically did, I can, I'll tell you the ones that I had in, in the locker, right? So we could have had Catch Me If You Can, we could have had Inception, we could have had uh, Titanic, we could have had Gatsby, um, we could have had uh, Shutter Island, we could have had Romeo and Juliet. But I felt like with the beach, there's a few things to get into there, just from a discussion point of view that I think are like a little bit more kind of a little bit more out of the box. Um, and I haven't watched it in absolutely ages. So, um, yeah. So well, we're can I, can I tell you something, mate? This is the first one I haven't seen. No way. I haven't oh, seen the beach. I've I never am. seen the beach. It's, it's one of those films that for some reason it's always eluded me. I'm really buzzed by that. Like, I'm really, really buzzed by that. And I don't... The thing is, right, I'm interested... I haven't watched it in ages. I'm really interested to see whether it holds up. Yeah. I, I, I think it might be one of those ones that, that might have aged absolutely terribly. But there's some really, really cool themes in there that will be, uh, be okay. very good to get into. Stanley Boyle, uh, isn't it? Stanley Boyle. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, uh, okay. and soundtrack-wise, some, some really cool stuff in there as well. Nice. Okay. Sweet yeah. as. I'm up for that. I like the sound of that, Ben Haynes. Oh my god, I'm I'm just looking at the trailer now for it. And it is so 2000s like it, it the colors like the whole lot. It's and Leo DiCaprio looking like a child, you know. It, it really really it's going to be interesting. Very interesting. Um but yeah, remember to follow us. BYOB Pod, Instagram, TikTok. Twitter, the whole regalia. So get in touch with us and hit us with some comments and we'll try and get into as many of them as possible. Do it. Do it. Big time. Um, And mate, looking forward to the next one.